0: Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, hey, uh, we are jumping into a new series today, and I'm really excited about this. It's going to be a fun uh, and maybe slightly confrontational series, but we're jumping into a series today entitled Heart Attack. And uh, I love that graphic. Come on. Old school tattoo graphic, heart attack. And here's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to be addressing some of the enemies that try to come against your heart. This ever-present attack in our culture, in our, in our lives, in the spirit against our heart. You know, in your natural life, in your, in your human form, the heart is, of course, the most important organ. Uh, if the heart is functioning correctly, it affects the rest of your life. It can, it can all work the way it's supposed to. But if your heart starts malfunctioning or it's not pumping blood through your body like it should. It really does affect the rest of your life. It affects everything. And the same is true in the spirit. Your heart, your spiritual heart, if you will, is the most important thing. It does direct. It it changes the course of your life. And what we let into our hearts can lead us down a path of good, or it can lead us down a path away from God into some really dangerous territory. And the enemy knows this, just so you know. If we could peel back the curtain for just a moment in the natural, we could see in the spirit. You have an adversary. You have an enemy that is after your heart. He understands that the condition of your heart really does affect the trajectory of your future. And so he is constantly attacking your heart and trying to infiltrate, get some stuff in there that will destroy your future. Bible says in John chapter 10 that the devil wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy everything that God wants to do in your life. How do you kill and destroy somebody? You go for the heart. If you can get to the heart, you can take them out. And so the enemy understands, hey, if I can get in there and plant some stuff in there, I can affect their future. But the Bible tells us time and time again that we need to be careful about the condition of our hearts so that we end up where we'd like to end up. And so our key verse uh, as we go through this series is going to be in Proverbs Chapter 4, verse 23, a very famous scripture in the Bible. You've probably heard it before. But if you haven't, I want to encourage you to memorize it. And here's what it says. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Can we read that out together this morning? Let's do it. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of life. Above all else. Someone say above all else. Oh, come on, say it like you mean it today. There we go. Come on, it's my church. That's fun. Okay. Above all else, this is the most important thing. More important than church attendance, which is great. Glad you're here. More important that you check the boxes and you read through the, the one-year Bible and the in the Life you version plan or whatever. Like, this is the most important thing. Make sure that your heart is guarded, because if it's not, it's gonna lead you down a path of destruction. This is this is this is top priority for believers. And so here's what I'd like to do in, in, in the coming weeks. Um, I'm going to be your, your heart doctor. <laughs> I'm going to be your spiritual cardiologist. And I want to I wanna look if, uh, to see if there's some stuff that has maybe gotten into our hearts that doesn't belong there. Some areas where the enemy has planted some seeds and maybe those seeds begin to grow up a little bit and they're taking us down a road we don't want to go down. I want to address the symptoms up front so we don't end up somewhere we don't want to be. And fair warning, as we go through this, it will get a little bit uncomfortable. We're gonna talk about some stuff that that might make you squirm a little bit in your chair. and like You know, the doctor's is always uncomfortable anyway. So welcome to the doctor's office for the next few weeks. But we're gonna embrace the awkwardness. We're gonna deal with the discomfort because at the end of the day, I want you to have a healthy and a well-guarded spiritual heart so that you can end up where God wants you to end up. Amen? Amen. So here's the first uh, of the conditions of the heart that we're going to address today. Uh, And uh, this might might feel a little aggressive for the first week, but that's okay. We're going to have some fun with it. And that is the calloused heart. The the hard, calloused heart. And if you're taking notes, I want to talk about this subject, the cure to a calloused heart. Subtitle, because I like subtitles. Just add water. All right? Let's pray and we'll get into this. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you truly do care about the condition of our hearts and you have the capacity to change them today in this room and in your presence. And Lord, I ask for any person who's in the room today that might be walking through a season where their heart has started to grow callous or or cold or, or hard towards you, That, God, by the end of this this morning, by the end of this sermon, that their hearts would be softened, not by my words, but by your word. God, that you would water their heart and that it would become soft again to receive from you today. We don't want to leave this place the same way we walked in. We want to leave different. We want to leave transformed and changed. And we know that you have the ability to do that in our lives today. So we love you, we trust you, and we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. So if you've been coming to this church for any length of time, you know that um, our traditional mode of operation when we go to a sermon is we like to take a look at a singular scripture and we kind of break that thing down and exposit the word a little bit and try to draw as much application out of one Bible verse as possible. We're going to change things up a little bit today because as I studied this subject of a calloused heart, I really couldn't decide on one single scripture. It is a very consistent theme all throughout the Bible. You'll see it Old Testament, New Testament alike. It's not just for people that don't know Jesus. It's for believers alike. And it happens all over the place. If if you go back to the book of Exodus, when uh, God's people were delivered from Egypt and the Israelites are walking around in the wilderness, uh, it was said of them that they developed a calloused heart while they were there. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 6, after some other stuff has taken place with God's people, the prophet Isaiah is told in in chapter 6 to go to a people with a calloused heart That can't see and can't hear from God any longer. In the New Testament, uh, even in Mark chapter 6, Jesus' disciples, the guys that spent three years with him and saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle, he says of his own disciples, hey, you guys don't get it. You still have some hard hearts. And then in Hebrews, after Jesus is ascended and this letter is written to the church, It says in Hebrews chapter 3 that you and I should warn each other every single day just in case our hearts begin to grow hard and calloused so that we don't end up in the same position that our our ancestors did. This is not some condition that is limited to those who don't know Jesus. You know, we think hard-heartedness. We're like, well, you know, the world out there, yeah, they got hard hearts. They're not open to God. No, this is a condition that can set into the heart of a believer. They can even become calloused so I wanted to look at the holistic view of Scripture and ask this question, how does a heart become calloused? Because if I can learn from somebody else's mistakes, come on, I don't, I don't have to make those mistakes myself. I would like to make sure that my heart stays soft and pliable before God. So how does one develop a calloused heart? Well, I think the answer to that question can be found even in the definition of the word even in the definition of callus so uh taylor if you could pull up the definition real quick um here's what it says a repeated pressure or friction in a specific area which results in the forming of a hard protective layer repeated pressure friction in a specific area in other words when the same thing happens in the same area for a really long time you can develop some calluses Uh, i'll give you an example um I am a a drummer, some of you know that, Uh, a retired, semi-retired drummer, (laughs) I don't play very much anymore, Uh, I'm now that weird old guy that likes to sit on the drums and pretend like he still knows what he's doing, but uh, I I used to play drums all the time and uh, it was a a dream of mine to be a rock star, hence the tattoos, Um, didn't quite work out, different stage, now there's weird people on the walls, but you know, it's kind of the same. (laughs) But uh, when I was 12 years old, I was playing guitar, and um, my guitar teacher told me one day, hey, you're not really good at this. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Uh, and he's like, you should, you should consider playing drums. You're pretty good at the rhythm side of things, but you can't quite get the, you know, the, the, the chords on the guitar. And I'm like, okay. So I picked up some drumsticks, and I fell in love with this instrument. I loved it. It was loud. It was cool. And most importantly, it was a very dominant instrument. I liked being the dominant guy in the band. You might think that the vocalist up here has all the control. No, 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 no. If the drummer decides that they're going to stop playing or play a little bit faster or play a little bit slower, come on, how many musicians know that the drummer is in control of everything? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And I liked that. I liked being, I'm much more mature now. I don't care about that stuff anymore. Um, Anyway. uh, (laughs) But I loved, I loved playing the drums. And I think if you do the math now from the time that I was 12, I've been playing drums for just about 25 years at this point, point. 25 years I've, I've been a drummer. And you may not know that by looking at me because of my, you know, polished and professional exterior. Um, <laughs> but if we got close and you maybe looked at my hands, you'd be able to tell pretty quickly, oh, yeah, you are a drummer. Why? Because after 25 years doing the same thing in the same area of my hand for a really long time, I've developed some pretty serious calluses on my hand. And, you know, my wife might point them out occasionally, or my kid's like, Dad, your hands are rough. But, you know, most anybody wouldn't notice it. It's, it's just sort of there. In fact, I don't even notice it any longer. I just have sort of gone through life with these calluses, not really allowing them to affect anything that I do. They're just part of who I am. And I think that that is exactly how a calloused heart begins to work, where we, we do the same thing in a certain area of life over and over and over again for a really long period of time, and we begin to develop these, these calluses on our heart that we don't even realize are there. These areas where, you know, God tries to speak or God tries to move and we just don't feel anything. It's like, you know, lead, and, and he can't get through because we've just grown cold and calloused in our hearts. And maybe if somebody gets close or if God tries to get close, he might point it out or we might notice it occasionally. But for the most part, we just sort of go through life not realizing that our hearts have grown hard. And so today, as your doctor, um, I want to talk about three common areas where a Christian's heart can grow calloused. Three things that may or may not exist on the inside of you. But if they do, I want to offer you a cure to that thing. Because at the end of the day, I don't want you to walk through this life calloused in certain areas towards God. I want you to be open to him, receptive to him. I want you to live your best life here on earth. Because Jesus said in the same scripture in John chapter 10, although the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, I have come to give you life and to give it to you to the fullest. And that requires a soft so let, let me give you a couple of areas where a Christian's heart can grow calloused. We're going to start off with just, you know, a nice easy one. Nothing really that aggressive. Number one, um, ignored conviction. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, something lighthearted, you know. Ignored conviction. I, I, I think this is probably one of the greatest callouses in the American church. Ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Ignoring that voice that tells you, hey, probably shouldn't do that, probably shouldn't go there, probably shouldn't date that. (laughs) Ignoring that conviction and becoming numb to it over time. Let's call it selective hearing. (laughs) Convenient obedience. How many parents are in the room? Okay. Anyone else's kids have a convenient obedience or a selective hearing disorder? Anyone else's family? Yeah. Yeah, like my kids are, are uh, they're nine and seven. And um, although the doctor says they're in perfect health, it's amazing to me how their ears don't seem to function sometimes. It's crazy. Like I could be in the kitchen and I could look at my wife, which is clear on the other side of the house from their room, and I could say, hey, babe, kind of at a low voice what do you think? Maybe we should take the kids to ice cream this evening. And like bloodhounds, they just come rushing across the house, like, What'd you think? You say ice cream? <laughs> like, they hear that. But then if I say things like, Brush your teeth, clean your room, flush that toilet, they don't hear me. And I have to say it over and over and over again, and by the fourth or fifth time, um, maybe you're a holier person than I. I kind of lose my mind a little bit, and I kind of snap a little bit, and I say some things I don't, I will take you out of this world, you know, whatever we, you know, we say. <laughs> Flush the toilet, what's the matter with you? How many times do I have to tell you to do the same thing over and over and over again? You know what my kids tell me? Probably the same thing your kids tell you. Dad, I didn't even hear you. You didn't hear me you heard the ice cream but you didn't hear me tell you to flush I said it like four or five times how could you not hear me it's interesting that me saying the same thing about the same thing over and over and over again for an extended period of time has caused my kids to kind of go mute to my voice like they don't even hear me say it any longer. And I think the same thing can happen when it comes to conviction. Maybe the first time the Holy Spirit said, hey, don't do that. Okay. But then maybe you ignored it once or twice or ten times. And it's like you don't even hear him any longer. It's like your heart has grown calloused to his conviction. Let me remind you, when you came to Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit. He, he came to the inside of you. When you said yes to him, the Holy Spirit indwelt your life. And part of his job is to convict you. It's to let you know, hey, you probably shouldn't go down that road. Or if you did go that road, hey, come on back to Jesus. For the record, it's completely different than condemnation. Condemnation says, stay away from God, stay away from church, stay away from community. You've messed up too much. You don't belong there any longer. But conviction draws you back to Jesus says, hey, come back. Come on, there's still an opportunity. You can still do the right thing. And he will speak to you. He'll say things like, hey, hey, you know what happens when you're alone. Don't be alone tonight. He'll say things like, hey, that's probably not the guy for you. Please don't take that job. You know what's going to happen if you take that job. It's going to completely overrun your schedule, and you're no longer going to be able to do the things that matter most and be a part of community that's probably not the job for you. I've got a better one. If you just, just, just hold on. He'll say things to you like, hey, don't buy that. Don't, don't get into debt. There's no reason for you to pile up debt in your life. You really don't need that. I know you want it a lot right now, but if you get into debt right now, it's going to prevent you from being able to be generous to other people. So just, just hold. I mean, he is faithful to speak to you about every area of your life. And when we heed his voice... It remains loud and clear. You ever wonder sometimes why people just seem to hear from God all the time? It's because they're consistently obedient to what the Holy Spirit is telling them. But when we find ourselves subtly ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit, over time, you can develop a calloused heart towards conviction. And before you know it, it's like you don't even hear him any longer. You don't even feel that conviction that was once really strong in a certain area. And it's the kind of thing that causes Christians to make statements like this. Well, I just don't have a conviction about that. You know, I, I just don't feel bad about that. And I, I think God's cool. I, you know, this feels right. And so I'm just going to continue to do this, even though it's in direct contrast to the word of God and to Scripture We can live in deception because we've ignored conviction for so long that we just don't even feel it any longer. The Apostle Paul uh, writes to a group of people in the book of Acts chapter 28, and he says, The hearts of these people are so calloused, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes can't see, their ears can't hear, and their hearts cannot understand. In other words, there was a moment where they made a conscious decision to stop listening to the voice of God, and in time, that choice led to a place where they simply couldn't hear him any longer, even when they wanted to. So let me ask you today. How have you been dealing with the convictions about that area of your life? When the Holy Spirit speaks to you about that thing, and I don't need to call it out because you know exactly what I'm talking about. How have you addressed that conviction? Have you responded or have you swept it under the rug and just sort of ignored it? And if you've made a pattern in your life of ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit, how can you get back to this place where that calloused heart, the callousness towards conviction becomes soft again? Well, I'll tell you in a few minutes. Let me get through a few others. <laughs> Number two. I think another area where we can become callous towards God is in the area of unanswered prayers. Let me just check. How many of you got some prayers that haven't been answered yet? Things you've been, yeah. Welcome to the team. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 13. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I think we've all felt that at some level in our lives. Something that we hoped for and that we believed for and that we declared and decreed in the Spirit, and then it didn't happen. Isn't it amazing how prayers change over time? The first time you pray for something, you slide that job application in there or, you know, you put your, your profile up on Christian Mingle. You're like... I declare and I decree. Everyone gets a southern accent when they do it too, right? I declare and decree. This is going to be my year favor. Hallelujah. And yeah, God. just, Just pray with all the faith in the world and like walking around your bedroom. My husband is coming in Jesus' name. He is tall, dark, handsome, and wealthy. Hallelujah. Like just all the faith in the world. And then a month passes. Two months pass, a year passes, two years pass, and suddenly that prayer is not nearly as faith-filled, right? There's no more declaring and decreeing. Your southern accent is gone. <laughs> now you just sound like a hood rat cussing at God, like, hey, do you even see me down here, though? Hello? Come on, that's real talk, right? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. (laughs) There's something about deferred hope that can affect the condition of your heart. It can make the heart sick. And if I've learned anything after being married to my wife for 15 years, it's that people respond differently to sickness. There's two different types of people in the room. There's the people that, when you get sick, you just want to, like, some people around you. Because you don't care about their health (laughs) at all, whether or not they get what you got. You just, like, hold me, cuddle me, sit with me on the couch. I'm sick, I don't feel good. (laughs) Give me a blanket. And then there's the rest of us that are normal and humane and care about other people around us. And I'm like, hey, I'm sick. I'm gonna be alone by myself in a dark room. Sickness is just weakness leaving my body. I'm gonna handle this. I don't need nobody. Just let me be by myself. Like, okay, how many of you are like like that person, okay? My people, that's right, yeah. I've gotten in trouble a number of times as a husband over the last 15 years for lacking compassion in the area of sickness. Like this morning, real talk, this morning uh, we got a phone call from my mother-in-law and my kids stayed the night at their house uh, spontaneously last night. And apparently my oldest daughter developed the flu while she was there. And we got a phone call at like 5.30 this morning. My mother-in-law is telling us that my daughter was throwing up all night. And this was my wife's response. She's like, oh my gosh, I just feel so bad. I'm just not there with her. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm kind of pumped that I'm not there with her right now. (laughs) Someone else clean that up. Hallelujah. All right. Like, if I'm sick, I just want to be by myself. Like, I don't want to be around anybody. I'm going to handle this all on my own. And sadly, when it comes to deferred hope, unanswered prayers, I think a lot of you guys are like me. I think a lot of people in the body of Christ are the kind of folks who Instead of run to God for comfort, instead of running in his direction because you're the only one who's got the answers, even though I don't have them yet, I'm going to sort this thing out with you, we retreat in isolation and we go, you know what, I'm getting a little cold here. I'm getting a little calloused here. I'm not going to pray for that anymore because I'm tired of being let down. I'm tired of not seeing breakthrough. I'm tired of the door not opening. So just let me get alone by myself in the spirit. I'll, I'll sit in a dark room in my pajamas and I'll watch Netflix. And if this thing breaks, great. But if not, this is where you can find me all by myself with an unanswered prayer, deferred hope, calloused heart. And, and listen, if you, if you are there today, if you find yourself in a season where your heart is starting to go, grow cold because God hasn't quite answered that prayer yet. I understand, and I don't want to make light of this, and I don't want to be insensitive. I, I get it. There's some things I've been crying out for for a long time. Our friends Hillary and Rich who were here last weekend, they've been praying for their baby girl for a long time, and they haven't seen breakthrough yet. They're walking through it. I know what it's like to pray that God would open up the womb and that you would be able to have a child. And we cried out for a kid for years while all of our friends around us seemed to get pregnant, whether they liked it or not or whether they wanted it or not. And Meanwhile, we're like contending, God, would you just let us have a baby? I don't understand why you're withholding from us. And I know what it's like to feel your heart begin to distance itself from God and grow calloused and grow cold because it feels like he doesn't even hear your prayers. I get it. But listen, you cannot stay there. You cannot stay in that place where you distance yourself from him while you try to sort it out on your own. It is a dangerous place to live. Proverbs 4.23 said, guard your heart above all else because it will determine the course of your life. When disappointment gets into your heart, rest assured, it will lead you somewhere. Disappointment will lead you to doubt, and you'll begin to wonder whether God even cares about you at all. And that doubt, if it's not dealt with, it will lead you to a place of spiritual death. So we have got to hedge that thing off. We've got to get ahead of that thing. And we need to understand before our heart grows hard, how to keep it soft, even in the midst of unanswered prayers. So how do you do that? I'll tell you in just a minute. Last one. (laughs) It's kind of fun cliffhanger. Last one. I think this is a huge one. The last two were a little more subtle. This one's a bit more overt. The area of missed opportunities. Doors we never walked through, opportunities we never laid hold of. There's um, this interesting word that shows up all throughout the the New Testament, and particularly in the area of Jesus's ministry while he's on the planet for three years. it's the word that shows up when Jesus looks at a crowd of people that have come to hear him and receive healing and they haven't eaten for three days and he looks at them and he knows he can do something about it. It's the word that appears when a few blind guys are on the side of the road in Jericho and they cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me and it stops him dead in his tracks and he pays attention to these guys because he knows that this is an injustice that he can, he can make right. It's the same word that appears when a, a guy brings his little child to God, his, his, young, his young boy, and he, and he says to Jesus, Hey, there's, there's demons that have taken control of my kid and caused seizures, and sometimes they throw them into the fire. Can, can you cast these things out? And Jesus knows that he can do something about that situation. It, it's this word that, that draws Jesus to right a wrong, to address an injustice, to do something about the situation that he's facing, to, to not miss an opportunity. And the Greek word is the word splachnidzimai. That's a fun word, isn't it? Let's all say it together. Splachnidzimai. That was horrible. Okay. You got to get a little bit of that in your throat, all right? Ready? One, two, three. Splachnidzimai. Great. You speak Greek. And here's what the word means. Interesting definition. It means to be moved as to one's bowels. Don't woo that. That's weird. Now, that word does not sound very spiritual. It doesn't even sound very sanitary. Let's just be honest for a moment, all right? It sounds like the sound someone makes when they're moved out into their bowels, okay? Like, I just splach, Like, I'm sorry. That was dumb and childish. I erased that from the record. But I promise you, it's a feeling that every single one of you have felt before. It's that, that thing in your gut when you look at a situation and you know you can do something about it. It's that feeling you get when you walk by somebody who is sick and you know that you're a nurse and you can handle it. It's that feeling you get when you see somebody being mistreated in public and you're like, I have to step up and I have to do something about this. It's that, that thing that compels you to action. Splach needs The moving the The moving from the gut. I remember years ago, um, my pastor and I, we were on a trip to the Philippines, and we were teaching at this leadership conference. And um, we were there for a week or eight days or something like that. And um, I remember that our location was uh, somewhat remote in the Philippines, and so we had to catch a lot of connecting flights to get to where we were going. And when we got into country and we landed in Manila, as we were waiting for our next flight out to the, the next city... Um, I noticed as we were sitting in the lobby area waiting to board the plane that there were a number of blind men hanging out inside this area, and they had little signs, and the signs basically said that they were willing to give a massage to people while they were waiting uh, for a pretty meager cost. And I discovered while we were there that there was really no help uh, from the Philippine government for those who found themselves blind, and so this was the best way that they could try to make a living, was to offer massages in the airport. And, And... every single airport we went to, we began to see these guys kind of lined up around the lobby. And I remember the first time I saw them, I'm like, man, that, that just doesn't feel right. And then in the next, next airport, it was like, gosh, I just I feel like I need to do something about this. And then the third airport, same thing. I'm like, man, I, I really, I, I need to do something. I started getting these, these thoughts in my head about laying hands on one of these guys and praying for them to receive their sight and Oh, suddenly their eyes were open, and then they went around to all the other airports and they were praying for guys and healing miracles broke out in the Philippine airports and I'm like, I have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead on the inside of me like I can pray for these guys and see healing. And airport after airport after airport we went to the feeling got stronger and stronger and stronger. And and I would love to tell you that the end of this story is that finally I mustered up enough courage to lay hands on some guys in the public in an airport and they were healed and healing ministry and miracles broke out all over the airports. But sadly, that's not what happened. I remember sitting in Manila again at the end of this trip, ready to board our final plane, thinking, okay, I'm finally going to do this. I'm finally going to do this. I'm finally going to do this. And then getting on the plane and never praying for a single guy. And I sat there on the plane as we we're taking off, and I was, just, I was just overwhelmed by this feeling of failure. That feeling where you feel like you let God down. Like, God, you gave me this opportunity, and I just, I just missed it. I just spent the last week telling all these leaders how to live a lifestyle of faith and, and win their cities. And I can't even pray for one blind guy in an airport. So I start repenting, and I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I missed this opportunity. And, and I'm, I made this vow. I said, God, if you give me an opportunity again, I promise I will not miss it. If you, if you put another blind guy in my, in my way, I will pray for that person. I promise you I'll do it. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? He said, yeah, but son, you've missed that opportunity so many times before. And the second he said that, I saw a picture of a guy named Mark. Mark was a man who sat in front of the Lucky's around the corner from my house. And I passed Mark all the time in my car. I walked by Mark hundreds of times on my way into the grocery store. And Mark was a blind guy that sat outside of Lucky's with a little sign saying, if you got any spare change, I'll take it. I never prayed for Mark. Never allowed Mark to interrupt my life. Never gave five bucks to Mark. And immediately this this myriad of missed opportunities just begin to flash through my mind. and I'm crying on the plane. People are looking at me like, what's wrong with this white guy? I don't understand. I said, I'm not white. Um, <laughs> so I said, God, when I get home, I'm going to find Mark, and I'm going to pray for Mark. Problem was I hadn't seen Mark in months because he hadn't been around the corner from my house any longer. So plane lands and I get back into town and go to the bank and I grab some money and I start hunting around the city for Mark. I'm driving from every grocery store that I can think of, trying to find out where this guy's at and finally I find him in front of a Safeway. So I parked the car and I probably startled him because I was really excited. I'm like, this is it. And I said, hey, Mark. God's been putting you on my, on my mind a lot, and I'd like to pray for you if that's all right. I've got some money for you, and here you go, but I want to pray that God would restore your sight. He's like, okay. So I lay hands on him, and I pray, and I'm praying with all the faith in the world because I'm like, God told me in another country to come back and pray for this dude, so this is going to happen. And I prayed, and I'm like, you know, looking around for mud I can spit in and put in his eyes, and like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do everything I know how to do, okay? Like, I'm, I'm going to get this. After about 20 minutes of praying for Mark, he still couldn't see. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? So I get back in my car, I drive away, and at this point, I'm a little irritated. I'm like, God, you talked to me about Mark in another country, and I came back and I prayed for him and I believed, and you didn't open up his eyes. What's the deal? God said, yeah, I wasn't interested in necessarily opening up Mark's eyes today. I was more interested in opening your heart today. And the fact that you were willing to be obedient to what I asked you to do will open up more opportunities for you to pray for more Marks. (sighs) I get it. So let me ask you, who's your Mark? What's that opportunity that you have passed by time and time again, all the while your heart becomes more and more calloused? Was there this passion inside of you at some point to tell people about Jesus and to share your faith with your coworkers or with your family? But because you kind of chickened out a few times, that turned into a few times more, that all of a sudden that passion has now grown cold Was there a time when you were like, I'm going to use my gifts for the kingdom of God. I'm not going to use these for selfish gain, but I'm going to use it to build the house and be a part of what God's doing in my city and and in other people's lives. But then for fear of rejection, you never really stepped out and put yourself out there. And now like a decade has passed and you've just kind of held on to your gifts for yourself while your heart's grown calloused and cold. And you think, "Ah, there's no way I could step out and do anything in that area now. I've, I've missed my moment. I've missed my opportunity. Have you grown calloused to the compelling of the spirit to step out and do something? And if so, how can you get your heart back to that place where God will open it again and say, you've not missed too many opportunities. I will open up an opportunity for you again to be used by me. How do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Because whether it's, ignored conviction or it's unanswered prayers or it's missed opportunities the cure for your callous is exactly the same want to guess what it is? just add water huh? <laughs> let me explain um, I have with myself this morning some play-doh And uh, when you take a a fresh batch of Play-Doh out of its case, um, it's soft, it's pliable, it can be moved around, it can be molded and shaped into whatever the person holding it desires it to be. And as long as you take that piece of Play-Doh, when you're finished playing with it, and put it back inside the container, and it's guarded by the container, and nothing from the outside can get to the inside, it will stay soft and pliable And guard it. Guard your heart above all else, for it will determine the course of your life. But if you take that same lump of Play Doh and you leave it out for an extended period of time, as I've done with this one, and the elements, oh, I just stepped on that, the elements get into it, the outside stuff begins to attack it, that same piece of Play Doh becomes very hard. It it becomes calloused and incapable of being used for what it was intended to be used for. Now, if a child looked at this piece of Play-Doh, they would go, okay, this is useless, just throw it into the trash can. But it turns out that if your Play-Doh has gotten calloused and hard, you don't have to toss that thing. No, it can actually become soft and pliable and usable again. And how, you might ask? Well, the makers of Play-Doh have actually put the very remedy for the hard Play-Doh on their website. And here's what they say. To restore the softness to Play-Doh, add water one drop at a time and begin to massage it into the dough. And in so doing, you will make the hard lump of clay soft once again. Now, as much as I would love to give you some advice on how to biohack your Play-Doh at home, uh, this sermon is not about Play-Doh, it's about your heart. And I think that our hearts fall into the same category as the Play-Doh. If they remain guarded, If we keep the elements from the outside, the enemy from getting in, hey, they're going to stay soft. They'll stay pliable. God will be in to work with you and move in you and and use you for his glory. But if it's gotten hard, don't worry. It's not too late. No, the, the remedy is, in fact, exactly the same. If you just add a little bit of water back to your hard heart, then God will begin to massage that water into your heart and suddenly it will become soft and pliable once again. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor Tim? Well, when God's people stayed at a distance for him for a really long period of time, when their hearts were unguarded and some stuff got in there that didn't belong and it led them to a place of distance from him, And they couldn't hear from him any longer. They ignored the convictions. They missed some opportunities along the way. Look at what God says to them in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. He says, for I will gather you up from the nations. I will bring you home again to your land. And then I will sprinkle some clean water on you, and you will be clean. I'll give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh again. He says, guys, I get it. Your heart has grown cold. It's it's gotten hard. And I know that you think that the condition of your heart right now is a permanent condition. There's no way it can be soft again. There's no way I can bring you back again. But I still have a plan for your life. I still want to use you. I still want to bless you. And I still have a home for you even in my presence. And I know what Proverbs 4 says, and it says that the condition of your heart affects the future of your life. And so I know that the only way I can bring you back to myself is to give you a brand new heart. You can't keep that heart and come back to me. No, i got to soften that thing up so that you are drawn back to me again. And so I will take that heart of stone, I will take that heart that is calloused, and I will give you a new one. How? Well, first I'm going to add a little bit of water to it. I will sprinkle you with some water. And if you're new to the Bible, let me tell you what water means. Water all throughout the word is synonymous with the presence of Jesus. It's the the presence of God all around us. It's the presence of God on the inside of you when the Holy Spirit comes in. Oh, I'm getting excited now. When the Spirit of God comes on the inside of you and begins to dwell with you and lead you and move in you. And maybe he gives you a new language and you begin to pray in ways you've never prayed before. That's what the presence of God looks like. It's the water of the Spirit. There's water in the Word. There's water in worship. There's water in the house of God. There's water when you're sitting in your car and you begin to cry out in prayer in the middle of a situation that you don't understand and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight, but you still turn to Jesus and say, I trust you in the middle of this. There is water found in that place. There's water here on Tuesday night when we gather together with no other agenda but just to worship him and to pray to him and to take communion together as a family. There's water in groups that meet all around our city and Coffee shops and homes to to just get together and hang out with God. There's water time and time again if we'll simply just open ourselves up to it and drop by drop by drop we'll begin to put those things in our heart and massage out the hard areas so that you're not callous to him any longer. I know that doesn't sound very complicated, but thank God the gospel is not complicated that the simplicity of just coming back to the word and coming back to prayer and being in the house and worshiping him, he begins to pour water on us so that we can be soft and pliable and used once again for his glory. So the cure today for a calloused heart is simple. Get around Jesus. Get close to him again. Let him deal with the callousness of your heart. And I promise you, it'll get soft. Conviction will come back. Opportunities will present themselves again. And your prayer will change. And even if you don't see the answer yet, you'll be like Abraham where it says in Hebrews, even though he waited, his faith only grew stronger in the way. Just add some water. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.